Welcome in to the Monday edition of the Daily Tap. We are talking Jordan Love and why his grade is incomplete. We are talking star ratings. We will talk about the defense. We'll talk about special teams, offensive line, whole bunch of things in the star ratings. We will talk about the Bucks' bad week. We will also talk about the Badgers, Graham Mertz. Is he above criticism? We'll chat about that. And then lastly, I do want to talk about Aaron Rodgers, COVID, the Pat McAfee stuff. I want to save it till the end. Obviously a little bit dated, so let's kick it to the back. So if you guys are like, I've heard enough, Charlie, you can just you know put press pause, move on, and go about your day. But let's start with Jordan Love. Jordan Love had an interesting day at the ballpark. I don't think this was Jordan Love's best moment, but I also don't think it was a complete low point for him. I think there were a lot of factors contributing to Jordan Love's sort of uneven performance. Arrowhead's not an easy place to play. No matter how bad the Chiefs defense is, Arrowhead is going to be one of the toughest environments for a young quarterback. So when you're making your first start in arguably one of the toughest stadiums to play as an opposing team, it's not surprising that Jordan Love had some jitters. Jordan Love looked shaky, especially early on in this game. It it seemed weirdly that Jordan Love started to finally settle in around the fourth quarter. There were other factors at work. Devontae Adams and him had one day of practice together. That one day. That's it. They did not have a ton of time together to kind of start getting on the same page. Aaron Rodgers and Devontae Adams had their struggles when they first started out. I'm not saying that this is something that needed to be formed years over years, but Adams and Love have not really worked together since OTAs. So it's been a while for the two, and that can kind of explain some of the miscommunication that the, that the two had during this game. The offensive line was miserable. They couldn't do anything with the blitz. Matt LaFleur took a lot of the blame. And I think what it was, was it was a learning game for Matt LaFleur, if anything. I think what Matt LaFleur realized is that Aaron Rodgers does a lot on the football field. And he makes Matt LaFleur's job very easy. Now, I'm not discrediting Matt LaFleur. You remember the monologue from... Friday recapping the Arizona game last week where I said Matt LaFleur is a great coach with or without Aaron Rodgers. I still believe that. Don't get me wrong here. I I believe wholeheartedly that Matt LaFleur is a great coach. That said, I think what Matt LaFleur didn't realize is that he has to hold Jordan Love's hand. He had to guide Jordan Love through it. He couldn't just say to Jordan like, improvise a little, be a little bit more, just figure out what you're seeing. What can you call something? Like there is not a chance in fucking hell that anyone would blitz Aaron Rodgers the way that Steve Spagnuolo blitzed Jordan Love. That just would not have happened. All right. And so because of that, Jordan Love needed to be kind of worked with. And And I think in the fourth quarter, Matt LaFleur started to finally understand that he had to guide his quarterback along. It's a lot similar. I'm sure we all have people at jobs, right? Where if whether you're a manager or you're someone who you're maybe, let's say senior leadership, whatever. I don't even know how, how the fuck we want to do this. But let's just say you are a manager, right? And you have somebody who's been there for a couple of years. You know that him or her will be able to do their job. You'll be able to trust that they do their job and you won't have to check in on them. You won't have to give them strict guidelines. You just know that they're going to do the damn thing. But then someone who might have just started doesn't have all this information. They don't know all the nuances of of their job yet. And so you have to kind of guide them along and you have to show them the way. That to me is what Jordan Love was in this game, that Matt LaFleur had to kind of bring him to water. And he did not do that originally. And that's something that I think Matt LaFleur is going to take away from this one and realize that if they have another week of Jordan Love, that that is the type of thing that they're going to have to do. I would imagine Matt LaFleur is going to tell the media this week that they're planning for Jordan Love as the starter. But if Aaron gets cleared on Saturday, Aaron Rodgers will go. And I, I, that's just how you're going to have to live your life. But there should really be no criticism of Jordan Love. I, we're going to talk about Graham Mertz and if he's above criticism later on. 
But four quarters of Jordan Love is not enough to judge the quarterback. But because we live in a hot take society, because everybody has to give their fucking opinion about everything, everyone's going to say either Jordan Love stinks or really everyone's going to say Jordan Love stinks, honestly. There's not like a Jordan Love hive here. No one's going to be like, Jordan Love's the next great thing. No one is going to say that. And that's the infuriating thing. And the discourse is going to absolutely suck tomorrow when really all people should be saying is, we don't know what Jordan Love is. What we do know at this point is that it doesn't look like it's going to be a smooth transition. It's not like Alex Smith to Patrick Mahomes, right? When you saw Patrick Mahomes in the you know meaningless game against Denver, you saw everything. It was like, whoa, Mahomes. That's not common. Mahomes is kind of one of one, right? It takes time. Tom Brady was not a good quarterback in 2001 when they won a Super Bowl. I understand that Tom Brady found a way to win, but those Patriots teams were built on defense. They were not built because of Tom Brady. Ben Roethlisberger, when he started out and won a Super Bowl, again, that was a team that was awesome defensively and the quarterback did just enough. Jordan Love technically did just enough to win this football game. As crazy as that fucking sounds, he did. And if it's not for two special teams errors and a Kevin King drop, the Packers are walking out of Kansas City with a win. But that gets forgotten. That's going to get ignored. The media will not pay attention to that. You saw Ryan Wood today say compare Jordan Love's first start to Aaron Rodgers' first start with no fucking context whatsoever. Ryan Wood's an okay dude, but that was ridiculous. He doesn't need to be pushing that narrative at a local level. I expect that out of Max Kellerman. I expect that out of Mike Greenberg and Dan Granziato and whoever the fuck you want to put on Get Up tomorrow. I don't expect that out of the local guys, all right? Like, the local guys should know better. Aaron Rodgers had multiple appearances. Aaron Rodgers had an appearance in garbage time against the Ravens where the Packers were getting their ass kicked and he looked so nervous. It's 2005. I forgot about it. Pete Bukowski called it out. And Pete was the one who brought my attention to this shitty Ryan Wood tweet. And I don't follow Ryan. And it's, again, nothing to Ryan, but... You just don't need to follow every Packer beat writer. I promise you. You can get all your information from a few of them. So we need to look at this as an incomplete. We cannot just continue to be in this hot take society of like, oh, Jordan Love is bad. Jordan Love, the Packers really need Aaron Rodgers. The Packers should sign Aaron Rodgers tomorrow. I saw so much misinformation out there about Jordan Love today as well. You had Pat McAfee, who I know he pushes a really hard Rodgers agenda, but sometimes it's obnoxious, all right? Like, I love Pat McAfee. I would love to work for Pat McAfee. I think he is a great fucking dude, all right? I really do. I think he's done a lot for the Indianapolis community. I have the utmost respect for him. That said, the Rodgers fellatio, I'm trying to be polite. I'm trying to really be polite here. But let's just say his over-exuberant, his love of Aaron Rodgers is too much. Aaron Rodgers doesn't have anyone in his family that loves him as much as Pat McAfee does. I don't even know if Shailene Woodley loves Aaron Rodgers as much as Pat McAfee does. And Pat McAfee pushes this forward because he's a great, Rodgers is a great guest for him. It drives views, it drives downloads, it drives, it, Rodgers helped, has grown Pat McAfee's show exponentially. Rodgers is great for McAfee and McAfee knows that. So of course, McAfee is going to keep going to that honeypot. And so when he's saying, oh, the Packers traded into the first round to get Jordan Love, can you believe that when Love was struggling? It wasn't the case. They moved up four fucking spots. That's not bad. 
People do that all the time in the draft. And they fuck up on scenarios with that. McAfee then deletes the tweet instead of just saying, guys, I screwed up. That's coward. That at Mike Votto, he called him a cod- Votto, sorry. He called him a coward. I, I agree. Like I, Again, I really like Pat. And I'll talk about my critique of him with the Rodgers interview because I had a problem with that too. I just think this type of thing is a little too big for Pat McAfee. And Pat McAfee should just kind of stay on the sidelines, in my opinion. Then you had someone else who was like, could you believe the Packers could have had Justin Jefferson? No. Justin Jefferson got drafted by the fucking Vikings with the 20th pick. The Packers like Justin Jefferson. There, I can pull articles. There's everything that says the Packers would have loved Justin Jefferson. The Packers like Brandon Ayuk. Brandon Ayuk goes to the Niners the pick before, and they loved Brandon Ayuk. Brandon Ayuk is a Devontae Adams prototype. Ayuk seemed like the guy for Green Bay. And honestly, as pointed out, like, wouldn't they probably be better off with Jordan Love right now than Ayuk? If you could if you could talk to a Niners fan, if you're having a beer with a Niners fan, do you, would they rather have Jordan Love right now versus Ayuk? I think they would. And I said that last week or a week before. So the idea that everyone just has this story so wrong. And I, and I can't stand it. It drives me crazy. And this whole idea that we need to form an opinion after one game is ridiculous. All right? Jordan Love did not do himself any favors. That's correct. But for us to bury him, for us to say Jordan Love is a bust, would be extremely short-sighted. And let me tell you, there are many moments where that can go wrong. There's a reason there's an old takes exposed Twitter account. Let's move on to star ratings. Star ratings is our sort of every week thing. We talk about who played the best, who played the worst for the Green Bay Packers. And we rate them from a five star to a one star. Five star has to go to the Packer defense. Packer defense was incredible. We have a Super Bowl contending defense for the first time really since 2010. And that is something special. That is something to watch. Joe Barry caught a lot of shit at the beginning of this year. I questioned the Joe Barry hire at the start. I questioned that it was a nepotism hire. I questioned that it was LaFleur getting his buddy on the staff. I was wrong. I think we all have to give an apology to Joe Barry. I think we all should say we're sorry to Joe Barry. Because Joe Barry has this defense rocking. This is a very good defense. And they are fun as fuck to watch. They are fast. They get to the football. They lay hits. Matt LaFleur talked about having hot piss. This defense has it. Especially Chris Barnes, who's my other five star. I love watching Chris Barnes play. Chris Barnes has kind of become one of my favorites. He's kind of my guy. Right now, I've always sort of been a Chris Barnes guy. I can probably find the tweets if you want me to. But yeah, I I think Chris Barnes is a legit player. And the Packers have two really good linebackers with him and Devondre Campbell. And they're rangy enough to cover the entire field. And that is something Green Bay hasn't had, God, maybe since George Kuntz in the 90s. Honestly, Bernardo Harris. Like, those are the guys that I remember, you know, being great linebackers for Green Bay. Green Bay has not been known for good good linebackers in a long, long time. Ted Thompson didn't give a shit about him. Brian Gunacus was supposedly a guy who didn't give a shit about him. Remember, they didn't draft Patrick Queen, and that was a big fucking deal for everybody. Everybody freaked out. They were like, you could have Patrick Queen, and you instead drafted Jordan Love. I should also remind you now that Patrick Queen's a weak side linebacker and he is not a middle linebacker anymore because he struggled mightily in the middle linebacker position. Devondre Campbell was exactly the guy that they wanted. They wanted a rangy guy who could kind of play the Fangio style defense the Packers wanted to bring to Lambeau and they have brought it. And this defense is really good and it doesn't matter who gets hurt 
Everybody does their job. Now, if Kenny Clark is hurt for a significant period of time, that's going to be a major loss for Green Bay. That means that you now have a pro bowler gone from each level of the defense. The front line, the second line, and the third line. Now, maybe you get Zedarius Smith back at some point. Maybe you get Jair Alexander back. Then you can make up for guys like Kenny Clark being gone. And Preston Smith, I don't, did Preston Smith play today? I, if he did, I think he did. But man, he was a complete ghost. I didn't see anything from Preston Smith today. Um, Rashawn Gary, another guy who's become a stud. Darnell Savage, who we'll talk about in the four stars, is another just Brian Gunacus draft pick. And this is exactly what draft and develop should look like. The Packer defense is a combination of draft and develop, undrafted gems, and free agent signings. And that is really, I think, the quintessential Packer way. We talk about heat culture in basketball. Packer way is kind of the NFL version. I think there's a lot of NFL versions, right? But Patriot way is another one. But the Packer way is definitely that. And it looks really good right now. And Chris Barnes is an underrated key player to this defense. And I think everybody realizes the impact that Chris Barnes can have with this team. The hit he had on Daryl Williams at the goal line was one of the best tackles I've seen all season, really, in, in all levels of football. That was such a good tackle. Such a good play by Chris Barnes, and I look forward to watching him on Sundays, and consider me a Chris Barnes stan. Four stars, I mentioned Darnell Savage, he played really well today. His stats don't really show it, I think he only had three tackles, but he was everywhere, he was getting to the football, he just was in a terror out there at the strong safety position. I think Darnell Savage has had a really good year. I don't know if I'd say it's a Pro Bowl year, but it is definitely an improvement. He is taking a step up. He is more consistent than I think he was last year, and he continues to showcase that with the Packers. A.J. Dillon is another four-star. A.J. Dillon, man, I I like Aaron Jones a lot. I think bringing Aaron Jones back made a lot of sense after the market for Aaron Jones wasn't that good. But we're kind of getting to a point where maybe A.J. Dillon is the dude. Like, I, I know that sounds weird, right? Like, Aaron Jones is a top 10 back. But are we sure A.J. Dillon isn't one, too? He just absolutely mauls defenses. The only regret I have from this game is A.J. Dillon didn't get the ball enough. A.J. Dillon, I think, touched the ball 10 times. Let me look at that. He, he just, it, it was a, a game where you needed more A.J. Dillon. If A.J. Dillon touches the ball a little bit more, do the Packers win this game? I don't know. I don't know if that's the case. Dillon had eight carries for 46 yards. He rushed 5.8 yards per carry. Dillon also caught the ball four times, four for 44. I mean, 12 touches, it needs to be more. It just does. He needs to be more involved. And maybe it's just the lack of possessions. Maybe it's you need to have Aaron Jones there too. I don't understand why you can't run more two-back systems with Jones and Dylan back there. Why can't they run a two-back shotgun split and just have the read option all day? To me, like that is a devastating play. How do you stop that? I, I, I have no idea. And then you do a little play action. You have the guys run out to the flats and let Dylan or Jones make shit happen. A.J. Dillon is becoming a star before our eyes. And I, they, the Packers have an out with Aaron Jones after next year if they want it. They, it it's technically a one-year deal, what Aaron Jones signed. And let me tell you, I, I, I think they might think about moving on from Aaron Jones. I think it's a real conversation because we keep sort of seeing this this emergence of A.J. Dillon. Yeah, okay, the Packers, sorry, let me rework that. They can't get out after next year, but they can get out after the year following 
and it's a potential out, and the Packers would would inquire some dead cap. But Green Bay right now is only paying Aaron Jones a million dollars. They're paying Aaron one point one million next year. His deal is completely backloaded uh, with eight eight million in twenty twenty three and eleven million in twenty twenty four. I don't know how they got Aaron Jones to do this deal. This I mean this is as pro friendly or player or owner friendly, Packer friendly as you can get. I remember seeing this deal when it came out, but my God, Aaron Jones needs better agency. They better representation. I mean, he did get a signing bonus of thirteen million, so maybe you thought that was that was enough. Um, and it has some roster bonus shit too in there. I don't know, man. I I do I would not like that one if I were if I were Aaron Jones. It's it's hard to believe Aaron Jones couldn't have found better there. But yeah, it's it could be a real thing. And I and it's fun to have them both right now. But at some point, I think AJ Dillon is going to take over that starting role. I really do. I he just continues to impress me, and every day, I every week, I feel like I come away with it being like AJ Dillon is emerging, and AJ Dillon is sort of reaching what he could be potential wise. Three stars. I have Kevin King. Kevin King. I wrote. I used to write three uh, star ratings. I used to not be a podcast statement. It used to actually be like a full on blog. I would write like 700 words, no one would read it, whatever. I, I really enjoyed writing it. And since that's why I keep doing it in podcast form. And actually, then I put it on social media as well, tabbing the keg on Instagram and then on TikTok as well. But Kevin King, <laughs> I always said, is like the quintessential three-star player because there would be some really good stuff from Kevin King and then there'd be some stuff that just would make you want to wring his neck out like he was Bart Simpson. And Kevin King's good was, I thought he did a really good job on the Chiefs wide receivers. They were non-existent in this game. They really did not do, do a ton. And Kevin King was thrusted into a bigger role after Eric Soaks suffered a knee injury in warmups. And he couldn't go and he didn't play the entire game. I don't think that was expected for Kevin King all week. And he stepped into that role admirably. And he deserves some credit. Now the stuff that makes you want to wring your neck out is one, he had an interception bounce off his hands. Now I, I know Kevin King is not a wide receiver. But still, that was as easy of a fucking interception as you're ever going to get. And he just dropped it. And because he dropped it, the Chiefs got a field goal. And if the Chiefs don't get that field goal, who knows, right? Packers might have been going to tie and be at 10-10. A lot of weird stuff could have happened if Kevin King intercepts that pass. Then the other play was as the Packers were trying to get a stop and get Jordan Love the ball back for a potential game-winning drive, Mahomes had a quick pass to Mecole Hardman, and Kevin King was playing eight or nine yards off. Look, Kevin King plays off because he's fucking slow. And I understand that. But someone needs to tell Kevin King, they're not going to send Mecole Hardman deep here. I promise you. I promise you that Mecole Hardman is not being sent deep. Even the Chiefs would not do that. Because if King's playing up on Hardman, Mahomes doesn't have a pass there. Mahomes has to look somewhere else. And I just want... Kevin King to become Al Harris. That's all I'm asking. Because I, I really think he could. Like, I think Kevin King is physical enough to be a bump and run corner. I realize that's not what he likes to do. I understand it, all right? I'm just saying, he has he has the body to be a bump and run guy. And he should be. But he's never going to be. And I have to get over it. But, man, that was a small play in the game where I was like, yeah. Kevin King just does a little more there. That would have been a big play for the Packers. And who knows if that leads to a punt instead of Mahomes getting the first down and the knee. And, and that first down, man, that was why Patrick Mahomes Patrick Mahomes. Like, that was a great pass. Chan Sullivan fell down, too. And you can't have that. And that was a, a bad moment for Chando, who I thought, again, played a pretty good game. Other three-star, just worth mentioning, this game kind of meant nothing. It, it, it really did. Not only was it the Rodgers thing, but 
Look at around the NFC today. You had the Rams losing to the Titans. You had the Cowboys losing to the Buccaneers. Arizona was, I assumed, would lose with Colt McCoy. They didn't. So now Arizona's back on top at 8-1. But any slip-up for Arizona, and the Packers have the tiebreaker. It's it, it was a really good day for Green Bay. New Orleans also lost. Tampa Bay was the only one who kind of came unscathed, and they had a bye. And maybe this means Tampa Bay will rise to the top. They do have a pretty easy schedule in the next five games. But I found it pretty funny that we did this whole thing about about race to the one seed and talked about all these teams and then it was right before Derrick Henry got hurt and I was like all right well now the Rams kind of have a nice path and then they lose at home to that Tennessee team it was a weird day and a lot of teams got it and it doesn't really matter now for the Packers they didn't lose no one gained ground on them Minnesota even didn't gain ground and that's a big win for Green Bay and that's something that Green Bay, probably not tomorrow, but on Tuesday or Wednesday is going to look at the standings and say, eh, the loss didn't really hurt us that much. And Arizona's going to lose again. They just are, all right? I don't understand the San Francisco thing. I don't get that San Francisco can't win at home. I don't know what's going on with the Niners, man. They are, they are a team that just should be so much better, and they just aren't. And it's, it's really surprising. All right, two stars. I thought the game plan stunk. We talked a little bit about that in the monologue with Jordan Love. I don't need to go over too much of it again. I thought Matt LaFleur just, he needed to be a little more concise. He needed to make sure the run was being focused. I thought, again, he abandoned the run when the Packers were down. We've seen this from Matt LaFleur with Aaron Rodgers too, where he just says, fuck the run, and he just starts passing the ball. He needs to stay focused. The Packers are best when they are balanced. And I I think they were, I think if you look at the stats, they were a bit balanced, but it needed to be more. And they should have relied on the run game a lot more and treated it more like a old school game where it's run first, first pass first. It's too bad, happens. And I I think they will get better if they have a full week of Jordan Love and if they think Jordan Love is gonna be the starter, I think they're going to be ready to go for Seattle. And the environment at Lambeau will be a lot better for the young quarterback. One-star special teams, you guys know that's going to be the talking point for one-star. What an absolutely disgraceful game from the special teams. The special teams were so goddamn bad. And I can't believe we are back in the Ron Zook era the what was the name of the guy for the Bostic? Sean. Oh fuck. I can't remember it. Someone will have to help me out. Was it Sean Slocum? It's Sean Slocum. There we go. Got it. Uh you know, it's like we cannot have a good defensive cord or uh, special teams guy. There was that Darren Sizzy guy or whatever, and we didn't want to pay him. Probably should have done that. This was years ago. I think he's now at the Saints. I uh, was with the Dolphins formerly. Like you, you probably just should pay up for, for special teams because whatever you're doing right now isn't fucking working. And Maury Strayton, I liked his attitude. I liked some of the comments he's had about special teams throughout the year. But man, he is terrible. I mean, just continuing to have Maury Rogers out there is one thing. Continuing to look disorganized on the field goal block just makes no sense. They've missed so many field goals, and now I'm at the point where I'm worried that special teams is going to fuck us when it matters the most because this is what you think about. This loss is on special teams. It's not on Jordan Love. It's on the special teams because if it's not, if it's a clean special teams game, the Packers win this game going away. So it can't happen. You need to be good in all three facets, and Packers right now are not good in the special teams department. Offensive line was brutal as well. I'd be really happy if this was the last Royce Newman start I saw all year. Royce Newman was a nice story. He had a good camp. But as the as tape got on Royce Newman, people figured him out pretty easily. Do I think Royce Newman can be a starting lineman years to come? Sure. Right now, though, he's not. He's a backup. He's a guy you can rotate in if there's an injury. 
I really don't understand why we continue to do the Royce Newman dance, even if David Bakhtiari wasn't going to play. Like, why couldn't Dennis Kelly have been the left tackle, bump Elton Jenkins left guard, and put Runyon at the right guard? Why couldn't that have happened? Lucas Patrick also struggled mightily as the game went on. Chris Jones ate his lunch in the second half. Lucas Patrick's a good story. I know he likes Aaron Rodgers. He dressed up as Rip from Yellowstone. Nobody spoil anything about Yellowstone, by the way. Had to wait today to watch it because Morgan is traveling. But anyways, you got to be better in the middle, man. Like You cannot allow so much rush in the middle and... Patrick's struggles today kind of make me terrified for what Aaron Donald could do in a couple weeks because they're going to need that to be cleaned up. And same against the Vikings, too. I mean, this is, it's not going to get easier for Lucas Patrick and the interior offensive line. You have the Seahawks next week who have a couple dudes. Jaron Reed, I think, is in the middle for them. Um, and then you have Minnesota who has dudes. And then you have the Rams who definitely have dudes. And then a bye, and then you have to face Akeem Hicks. So it's not going to get easier. They need to figure out that middle middle line. And I, I don't think Elton Jenkins should be the center. I know some people have talked about that. I, I don't see it. I I think you put Royce Newman out of there. and But would Patrick be better as a right guard? I don't know. Would that help? Would that alleviate some of it? I think they're going to look at the schedule, and they're going to say what makes the most sense. And if it means because of Aaron Donald and others coming to town that Elton Jenkins is a center, Elton Jenkins is a center. And Elton Jenkins can do it. Elton Jenkins is Mr. Versatile. He is he is one of the best of the best. But tonight was not a good one for the offensive line. And they, they just need to be better. Does it for star ratings. Obviously back next week. Although next week's a weird one. I, I'll We'll talk about it more. But I'm uh, going to the game. So, and I have to work early. I was at the time was supposed to work late. Now I'm working early. So when I go home, I kind of have to get right to bed. So we're going to, we're going to have to figure that one out. We'll cross that bridge when we get there though. Let's move on to other sports in the state of Wisconsin. It was not a good week for the Milwaukee Bucks either. The Milwaukee Bucks have now lost five of their last six. They're four and six to start the season. Not, I think, what any Bucks fan expected. I think for a while, Bucks fans were like, all right, it's cool. We have a championship. We're going to turn it on. It's all right. But I think you always want to start with success. I did tweet out, I'd rather be hot in March than be hot right now. That stands true, but still, it's frustrating to watch your team lose every night is what it feels like. And Giannis had the comment, oh, I thought we were tanking. Because it, it was really, it's really been a struggle for Milwaukee. They, had, they didn't break 100 again. That's something they would do regularly. They're not breaking 100. I think that's some, some of the Middleton stuff that he's out with COVID. Drew seems really rusty. And we saw this last year after COVID when Drew had it, where it took him like two or three weeks to kind of acclimate himself again to NBA game speed. They're going to need Drew to be getting that acclimation period up a lot quicker because right now they don't necessarily have the full Drew Holiday experience. Giannis had his first bad free throw shooting night against Washington yesterday, 5 of 12 from the line. He was also 0 of 4 from 3. Who knows? Maybe that's a gym thing. Maybe it's just one game. Hopefully it's just one game, and hopefully it's not a sign of things to come where Giannis kind of has this free throw regression and all of a sudden we're back to 60% before you know it. I, I'm not gonna, I'm not ready to say that about the Greek freak or anybody involved. The Knicks loss on Friday was really bad as well. I mean, both, both losses this weekend weren't great. I mean, the one against Washington, I look at it and I say, okay, Giannis missed seven free throws, Bucks lost by seven. The Bucks hit five or six more threes. They win this game going away. It's not even close. Um, it was just one of those games where nothing seemed to work. And that's been a problem for Milwaukee. Friday, I had a lot bigger issue than I did with tonight. Because Friday, you had a 20-point lead in the first half. Now, I understand 20-point leads in the first half are not what they used to be. But Milwaukee was the first team, I think it's the first team ever, that they were up 20 and then they lost by 20. 
they like completely white flagged it in the second half. And it was like the air went out of the balloon and they're like, oh, fuck, whatever. We're done. We can't stop Derrick Rose. We can't stop anyone else. We're just going to kind of roll over. That was the first time this season where I was like, all right, guys, got to pick it up a little bit. And you can't allow that type of shit to happen. You got to be mentally tough. And for the Bucks to kind of just say, eh, whatever, we have a championship, wasn't, wasn't the best with that. Didn't feel great about it. So I do think this Bucks team is going to be fine. I'm not ready to panic. But I, I do look at the upcoming schedule this week and I say, fuck, if you lose three or four out of that schedule, then you watch your record would be five and five and nine. Oh, man. Like you're starting to get there where it's like, okay, at some point you need to reel off a bunch of wins. And then this thing's a mirage, and we're like, remember when the Bucks were four and six? Remember when they were five and nine? But right now, I don't feel really confident against any team that is remotely good. And Washington's been playing good basketball. Knicks have been playing good basketball. So they need to kind of figure out how can we take this to the next level? And maybe vacation time is over for the Bucks. Maybe it's time now to flip that switch. And they need to figure out how to score without Middleton. Because right now, they are not getting enough production. And they need people to pick up that slack. And it's a really tough week for them. They visit the White House tomorrow. Uh, they will be presenting President Biden with a Bucks jersey. I would pay good money to see how Joe Biden pronounces Giannis Antetokounmpo's name. I guarantee you he will butcher it. I have minus 250 on Biden butchering Onto the Kumbo's last name. Uh, but then they go to Philadelphia. Uh, TNT game on Tuesday night. Uh, big matchup there. Giannis Embiid. Philly's been playing really well without Ben Simmons. Um, so that'll be a, a fun one to watch. And then they go back to play New York on Wednesday night. Kind of a brutal uh, back-to-back. Giannis always seems to show up in the garden. He loves playing in the garden. In front of fans. Hopefully that will go well for them. And then they play Boston on Friday, which is on ESPN as well. So a lot of primetime games for the Bucks. That's great for us YouTube TV guys because then we don't fuck around with Bally, which is good. Boston's a mess. I mean, Boston had a t- probably the worst loss of the weekend as they gave a take foul. And it wasn't a take foul. It was a, it was a use it or lose it foul with Marcus Smart and Luka Doncic. But they were right about to get to the shot clock. And they were about to get a shot clock violation or a heave from Luka, but Boston would get the last shot. Because Smart made the foul, it gave Luka basically the chance to win the game outright at the buzzer. And guess what Luka did? He won the game at the fucking buzzer because he's Luka Doncic, and he's done that. I had a brutal gambling beat uh, with Luka and the Memphis Grizzlies last year where Luca hit some unreal fucking shot down the stretch, and I just was like, all right, whatever. I'll, I'll take my L. I'll take the loss, but it's, it's it's always not fun to have that happen to you. But, yeah, Boston's a mess right now. So that Bucks do get Boston at a good time. They might get Atlanta at a good time too. Atlanta's been sort of struggling as well. Um, they're not playing great basketball, but a lot can change in a week. They don't play Atlanta till next Sunday. I also don't know why the Bucks have so many Sunday games. Like, do they know that the fucking Packers exist? Like, I understand that the NBA schedule shouldn't go around the NFL, but I don't think it's really helping the fans of the game to have the Bucks on at the same time as the Packers. This will be the second straight week. They have it happen again a couple, I think in two weeks against Indiana when they play the Rams at the same time. Like, come on, stop doing that, all right? Like, yes, is it nice for if the Bucks or I'm sorry, the Packers are getting blown out or blowing the team out to then flip on the Bucks? Sure. But come on, we can be a little better than that. Also, that's a big hangover potential game for the Bucks in Atlanta on on Sunday night because that means they're going to spend Saturday in Atlanta, which probably means Magic City, which probably means strip club, which, well, Magic City is a strip club. You, I should know that. But anyways, it, it just means a lot. So hopefully that's not the case. Hopefully the Bucks don't come in hungover. At least the game's at 5 o'clock. So I have a lot of time to uh, rest and recuperate.
All right, two more things. We got Mertz, we got Rodgers, and then we'll ride out of here. So Graham Mertz had a great game against Rutgers. Um, the Badgers themselves had an awesome game. They won 52-3. to Mertz went 11-16, 240 yards. Easily his best performance of the year. Now Rutgers, you could say, well, it's Rutgers. I could also argue Rutgers' defense has been actually pretty good this year. And this was the first real time, except for the Ohio State game, where offense just dominated them. Now, they did get some interceptions and short fields and things like that. And that's part of the reason why it was such a shit pumping this weekend in New Jersey. But Graham Mertz was praised by his teammates for dealing with the criticism on social media and people were all out on Mertz and they're like, he kept his head high, he kept working. And, you know, it's good that Graham Mertz has the support of his teammates. But Graham Mertz can get criticized, all right? If, it, if it's not for Graham Mertz, the, Green, the Wisconsin Badgers either beat Penn State or Notre Dame or they might have beat both. And if they've beaten both... They have one loss on the year. Michigan was a loss. That was a straight loss, all right? There's nothing you can say about that game really. Well, Merritt's, no. They lost that game, all right? Didn't play well. If they had one loss right now, the Badgers are the most danger, one of the most dangerous teams to get into the playoff because they're playing that well defensively. And they're the team right now in the Big Ten nobody wants to see. Now, granted, none of the big names, of course, have to play Wisconsin down the stretch. It's Northwestern, it's Nebraska, and it's Minnesota. Northwestern can be run on all day, all fucking night. Nebraska is probably out of sort of feeling anything. They keep losing one-loss games. They're now 3-7. and seven. They're probably not going to go. I don't think they're going to go to a bowl game. Maybe if you win the last three and you're 6-7. and seven, But it doesn't look like a bowl game again for Scott Frost. And then Minnesota, just when you think Minnesota, hey, the running back issue isn't a big deal. It's all right. You're going to figure it out. Next man up, all yada, yada. They then lose at home to Illinois and only score six points. Illinois is also a bizarre team. Talk about a team who plays up to their opponents if their night names aren't Wisconsin. Because Illinois was not able to do that against Wisconsin, but they have... Knocked off both Penn State and Minnesota on the road. So you can kind of see Burt Bielema. The Magic's working there a little bit for Burt. But yeah, the Badgers have a clear path. And Graham Mertz deserves a little bit of the criticism. Now, he shouldn't be told to kill himself. He shouldn't be told to not be a Badger quarterback. Like That stuff's beyond, beyond reproach, all right? That's not what I'm talking about. What I'm talking about is critiquing a kid that was struggling for the first part of the season. He's finally starting to figure it out. It's finally starting to come together. So I guess if you're a Badger fan, the way you look at this is, I said last week, I was like, the goal would be get to the Big Ten title game and get to get to the Rose Bowl potentially, or maybe a New Year's, New Year's Six Bowl as like sort of a at-large team. I think the other goal is really knowing you have a ton of potential next year. That if Graham Mertz looks comfortable and Braylon Allen, who I believe is the next Derrick Henry, and I will keep saying that, I I just think he's the size is similar. I think I'm going to bet Braylon Allen for Heisman next year. I, I really believe that future is bright for that kid. That, to me, could lead to the Badgers being one of the top dogs, maybe being this year's Michigan State, where they are undefeated. Now I realize Michigan State just lost, but they are undefeated heading into the first week of the playoff reveal. The Badgers are like fifth or sixth. That is entirely on the table. I haven't even looked at their schedule, but it, it, it's, it, it should be something to think about. And that should, again, be the goal. As Graham Mertz continues to look comfortable that gives Wisconsin a real shot next year. Now, I don't know what they'll have defensively and all that shit. There's a lot. There are layers to this, right? But at least right now you can look at it and say, all right, they're pushing in the right direction. Next year, for whatever it's worth, uh, because we care, they go, to, they go to East Lansing. It's 
It's always tough for Wisconsin. Never seemed to go well there. And then they also have to go to Ohio State. So they have they have a little bit of a tough schedule. They face Ohio State. They also go to Iowa right after they play Ohio State. They have a brutal finish to the season that involves Ohio State, Iowa, and Minnesota. Not, not easy for Bucky. Oh, they also go to Ryan Field, Northwestern, the house of horrors, always in early November. So it'll be cloudy. It'll be cold. And somehow Wisconsin ends up losing that game like 10 to 6, and none of this will even matter. All right, let's talk about Aaron Rodgers. If you guys have had your Aaron Rodgers fill, sign off, whatever. But if you haven't, and I won't spend too much time on it, I should have done a podcast on Saturday. I should have kind of did it, done an emergency conference, not press conference, I'm not help press, but I should have done a, a emergency podcast with the Aaron Rodgers news. I didn't because I struggle with this topic, honestly. Uh, between you and I, I've been pretty, I wouldn't say anti-vaccine because I'm double vaccinated. I, I got it early. I had no real issues with what I had heard about the mRNA uh, vaccine. All right. I had no problem with it. I haven't got my booster. I don't really have any sort of desire for the booster. I just don't know if I need it. I, I just, I've lived my life, haven't been picked up COVID, feel like my immune system's pretty good, I'm O negative, which is also something that helps with COVID. So I, I just don't see myself maybe needing the booster. If my company required it or something, I don't know, whatever. We don't need to get into it. I also have a cousin who's battling long COVID, who's got some real issues because of COVID. I know the serious sides of this. I'm not oblivious to it. So I've seen it in all ways, shapes, or forms. And I respect everybody's opinion on COVID. And I think we need to do a better job of that. And we need to understand that not everybody needs the same fucking opinion. So everyone that was dunking on Aaron Rodgers yet on Friday, it was, it was kind of weird. And I, and I didn't, I just stayed silent because I didn't know what to say. I did comment when they're like, this is a life or death situation. No, it isn't. And I said that a couple days ago. Look, everybody has made up their minds about the vaccine. All right. No one is changing their minds because of what Aaron Rodgers said. If anything, if anything we want to be critical of from Friday, it should have been Pat McAfee should have stepped in at any point and slowed Aaron Rodgers down. I would have loved, and I, maybe he'll talk about it. He was He's an anti-Rodgers guy. But I would love to hear what Bill Simmons has to say about it. Or Ryan Russillo for that matter. Because those guys are professionals. And would have said at some point, hey, let me interrupt you here. You've talked a lot. Like We, we just want to, like, can you... Can I stop you here and can I ask you a couple questions? McAfee opened the door for Aaron Rodgers to just free ball. And that was the last thing Aaron Rodgers should have been doing. And let me also be clear, even though I respect Aaron Rodgers' opinion, I think that he was an idiot for going on Pat McAfee's show. He should have just sent a text like, yeah, I'm pissed about it, I'm feeling great. Can't wait to talk to you on Tuesday. Um, we'll, we'll chat then, I'll talk about everything, and we'll go from there. Instead, he just opened the floodgates and opened himself to a lot of criticism. I wonder, so I said I was in my Twitter space after the game, which we do all after every Packer game, tapping the kick sports on Twitter. You can come hang out. We love talking to people. I assign people speaker roles and they don't do it, which makes me mad kind of. So I'm like, guys, you guys can speak. Like, let's talk. Let's have a conversation. This isn't just me. I want to talk to you guys. That's, that's the whole role of these, these spaces. Anyways, I said in that that Aaron Rodgers didn't come out like Kirk Cousins and Carson Wentz and Cole Beasley, even though I wish he did, because he didn't want to get criticized. He didn't want to deal with the criticism. And the more I think about it, the more I wonder how much this offseason played into that. 
Aaron Rodgers was ran through the media grinder all offseason. And all offseason, it was Aaron Rodgers this, Aaron Rodgers that, Aaron Rodgers selfish, Aaron Rodgers trigger trade, whatever. Okay? I almost wonder if it was a quiet offseason, if not much had went on, if it was only Jeopardy and that was it. Would Aaron Rodgers have maybe had a different tune and would have been okay with sort of dealing with the media stress? And also the media would have probably let it go. This wouldn't have been a Kyrie Irving situation where it's talked about at all times because the NFL, A, doesn't mandate vaccines and B, Green Bay and Wisconsin do not have a, a mandate on vaccines either. So it would have became a non-story as the season went on because it happened in late August. And instead, it's now out there. The media feels lied to and they're out of control. And that's another topic for another time. I, I don't want to, if I went war, long enough already. But now the media is going to keep sort of buying into this, keep telling this story when they don't really need to, but that's what the media does. And so we're going to have to hear about this for a long time. I do want to say it was really nice to not hear Fox, Joe Buck, and Troy Aikman talk too much about it. And maybe that was a something the producers agreed on after their morning show just ripped Aaron Rodgers and everybody took their turn to criticize Rodgers and point their finger. And I don't know, but it was it was appreciated. So I'm okay with what Aaron Rodgers said. I am. Some of the stuff was unhinged. I agree. Aaron Rodgers has a right to have his own opinion, just like we all are. And I don't agree with a lot of things he says. I think it's, you know, he's kind of acting like the smartest guy in the room. When you act like that, you're never the smartest guy in the room. But I do wish it was a little more succinct. I wish he actually talked about it with, a journalist who could actually push back and ask him questions and not a fanboy. And yeah, hopefully we just move on from this. I actually wish, I hope Aaron Rodgers doesn't do the Tuesday show. I hope he, hope he's just like, you know what? I'm focused on football. All right. Um, because yeah, I think this was a little bit of a distraction. And if the Packers end up not getting home field by one game, they're going to point to this one because Packers probably win with Aaron Rodgers out there. All right, that does it for today's show. A long-ass daily tap. Hope you guys enjoyed that. Back tomorrow. Um, I don't know our tapping the keg schedule. I didn't realize how many games the Bucks play. So we might do it tomorrow. Uh, I got to talk to Mitch on that. Let you guys know. And then, uh, yeah, we'll have a, we'll have a good week. Um, we have Packers-Seahawks. We have the Badgers. Rock rolling. College basketball starts Tuesday. So we have that. I know we talked a little bit about it on Tammy and Keg last week. Yeah. Can't wait to lose a bunch of money in college basketball, too. Um, that's a time honored tradition, like always. All right, guys. Take care of yourself. Have a great Monday. We'll be back tomorrow. See you. Bye.